live your life. You only get one one shot at this. Don't regret anything. But if you don't go for it, whatever you want in life, you will regret it later. Hello, sunshine. Welcome to Ignite Your Passion with me, Bonnie Lang. Listen to former Dallas Cowboys quarterback, Quincy Carter, as he talks about the sport and how he's helping others beat addiction. Well, hello, Quincy Carter. It is such a pleasure to get to see you again. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. How are you doing? Fantastic. It was wonderful seeing you. What time flies. That was actually, I guess, July 4th weekend. Yeah. Uh, at my show, we had seen each other before, but it was nice to finally get to say hello and connect with you and for you to share your story here today. So thank you so yes. much. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for having me, too. So tell us, first off, where you're from and where you live now. I was born in Bloomington, Illinois, but I like to say I was born in Chicago because right out the hospital, I went to Chicago. My mom grew up in Chicago Heights and my dad grew up on the west side of Chicago. But I went to, I moved to Georgia when I was three years old. So I'm really at heart a Georgia boy, but I reside in Austin, Texas now. Oh, awesome. Awesome. Yeah, that's how I got to see you. So you played football and baseball in college. How did that transition happen? Because then I see you went back to football. Yeah. You know, at an early age, baseball was my first love. So I started playing baseball first. Then I started playing a lot of travel ball up north in Georgia in the Cobb area where I played for a real good travel ball team. And so my skill sets in baseball continued to develop. And football came on a little late. I started about 10, but I didn't start playing quarterback until about the eighth grade. So I was blessed enough to get drafted in baseball right out of high school in the second round by the Chicago Cubs. And uh, the money was too good to pass on. (laughs) And then I knew, too, the other factor is that I knew that uh, playing baseball and football at the university. Well, actually, I signed with Georgia Tech at first, but uh, but doing both of them would be hard. And so I wanted to just, you know, give baseball a try first. So I went all baseball first. Then after a couple years of really missing football, I came back to the University of Georgia to play football. So what was it like playing college football at Georgia and then going to the pros for the Dallas Cowboys and the New York Jets. Oh, I loved it. You know, I loved every minute of it. I'm a Georgia boy to the heart. Actually, you know, I really didn't give the University of Georgia much a chance coming out of high school because they were coming on pro. I mean, they were getting ready to be on probation. And then I wanted to go to bowl games. But by the time I got ready to come back, that probation had been lifted. So, but but I really loved my time at Georgia. I uh, really loved playing in front of the whole state of Georgia down at the University of Georgia. All my family were able to come see every home game and then getting the blessings of, you know, getting drafted by America's team was a dream come true. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Do you remember what was it like when you first found out that you were going to be playing for the Dallas Cowboys? Well, it was a little spoiled. The news was because I found out that I'll be drafted by them a couple of days before the draft. It was just a matter of where they were going to draft me and the draft order. We had the second pick. 
I think, in the second round. But a lot of guys wasn't picking quarterbacks. And so we were able to maneuver and keep moving down to get draft picks. And that's what we did. And then they end up picking me the 53rd pick of the NFL draft. But, you know, to be honest with you, I knew a few days before the draft. But even knowing, like those two days that you had to keep it quiet. Yeah. What I was did. that? It was a lot of bottle up energy. But then it was a lot of anxiety. Also, like, you know, is it really going to happen? Your agent tells you one thing, yeah. uh, but it's like, well, is that really true? So to get my name called, my whole family went crazy. I remember we got the call from Jerry Jones, and I had about 30 or 40 people over. And then my mom's trying to tell everybody to hush. She's going crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and and then Jerry gave me the news, and then after that, the whole house just went crazy. Yeah. I can see your mom saying, y'all hush, y'all hush. She is <laughs> yeah. so adorable. I got to meet her, too. Yeah, that's right. Austin. Yeah, that's right. I yeah, we were talking about beignets, our favorite food. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's incredible, incredible. And then, so as a pro football player, how did your life change? Did it change immediately? It did. It changed how people viewed me. It changed how I was accepted by my friends. I just wasn't Quincy, who they grew up with anymore. It was, you know, I was, quote, this megastar to them in their eyes. But to me, it was just my life enjoying it with them. And just knowing I was blessed, but then, hey, it's a lot of work that's got to get put in for me to keep this job. But it changed, but, you know, for the better. And then some things I could have done without. What inspired your whole passion for football? Man, you know, I would say, one, growing up in the neighborhood I grew up in, it was a little rough. And I had a lot of athletes around me who could really play sports, baseball, football, and basketball. So the guys that I competed against, whether it was Gresham Park when I was a young kid up until high school, I played in high school. I played with a couple of Olympians. I played with a lot of Division I scholarship football players. We were very rich in our tradition in football. I had great coaches around me who pushed me. And then I had the innate ability to love the game and to want to get better and to want to work hard and win football games. So as a young kid, I would say my environment influenced me the most. And then just that love and passion just kept growing for the game. Yeah. But how long did you play? I played four years in the NFL. Then I played a couple years in arena football also. So what did you find most rewarding about it? Like when you were playing for the Cowboys, were there parties, lots of parties and that kind of thing? Or was it all just focused on playing this game and winning? There were some good times, admittedly. But, you know, I was a different partier. Like, I really like to do things at my home, which ultimately got me caught up in my addiction, too, to be honest with you. But I was a homebody. I'm an only child, so I'm a little independent. Growing up, too, was the same way, you know, growing up in Decatur, it just wasn't all bad, but you had to know where you were going and what time it was at night when you were going out to places. So that kind of became my makeup as far as my having fun and party life. 
I wasn't the one who was going to do everything in front of your face. Uh, but like I said, consequently, that cost me a lot, too. But it was it was great times. I won't dismiss them all. I wish some of the habits I developed, smoking weed at an early age, about 17, I wish I would have never picked it up because eventually that led me led me to some harder drugs, you know, eggs, coke, some really heavy drinking. So those are some of the things that you wish that you could take back. But hey, I'm out here helping a whole lot of people with addiction and, uh, and then living my best life too, spiritually, mentally, having my peace of mind, and then showing someone else how they can have that peace and then really overcome your addiction and uh, live this recovery life. But it was great times. It was. Yeah. Uh, but some of the things, you know, you want to take back. So at what point in your life did you realize, hey, I got to get a grip on this. At what point did you realize that you needed to change? I say 06. Uh, when I when I got done playing with the Jets and I didn't get picked up by a team the next year, that 06 year, it was like, wait a minute, I really do have a problem. But the problem is, Bonnie, is I wasn't willing to really put two feet in into this recovery life. And so I struggled for the next 13 years going in and out of rehab. Now, you know, of course, I'll get some time clean and sober, but it wasn't sustainable because I wasn't doing the real work. I wasn't surrendering to the program of AA and I was not surrendering to God. And so nothing ever lasted for that long of time, because when you've got an addiction problem, you got to live this life. And I wasn't willing to do that. And then the results of it was me being a chronic relapser until 2019 came up here to Austin, Texas at BRC Recovery, which I work for now in business development. And I surrendered to the program. I surrendered to God and I hadn't turned back. It hadn't been easy, though, but it's a continuous daily reflection of your life and how you fix your spirit on a daily basis to really go out and deal with any life situations. So it's been a great it's been a great adventure, I would say. An adventure that word comes to play because I've been blessed enough to really explore who I really am deeply. And it's a beautiful thing once you find out everything you don't like about yourself because your awareness gets heightened. But you realize, though, you got the blessings of God on a daily basis. And you just continuously just work on yourself and then go help somebody else. It's a beautiful thing. Congratulations. That's incredible. I mean, your journey. Now, I bet, do you feel like you're living life more now than ever? Oh, my God, yes. It's not even close. It's night and day. And then more importantly, too, my relationship with God. I can feel God. I can hear him. I can be able to, to decipher the people that I really need to be around, who's feeding my life and who's not. But you're blinded when you're messing around with drugs and alcohol and, and you don't have that awareness. And so I just got a great awareness of life, what's really important in life and what's not. And then being around my kids and then getting the blessings of being, being able to really implement some real substance in their life that I know that's going to help them along their journeys. 
It's just been a beautiful thing. It has. So are you still a motivational speaker as well? Absolutely. Yeah. Anytime I get a phone call and I can go talk to some kids, you know, man, by the grace of God, I've been able to go to a few prisons here lately and I'm working with the Texas juvenile system now. So yeah, any kind of wisdom and experience I can give somebody, man, I want to give it back. So then what do you do exactly at your job? You work with, I saw on your card, you actually work with athletes and musicians. I'm a business development director of athletes and entertainers. What we've done at BRC Recovery is we developed a mindset program. You come in and get you a 15-day assessment. Then we'll determine whether or not you're more primary mental health or it's more substance abuse and then place you in the program on a 30-day, 45, 60-day, 90-day program as we see fit that you may need. I'm a benefactor of our heavy 90-day substance abuse program, and then also I'm a benefactor of our Makana program, which we call Makana Path, which deals with trauma, shame, codependency, family attachment, then we were able to mix the both of them together and then add things like toxic masculinity, real talk. We got full-time trauma therapists. We have a rec program where they'll have a trainer. We got the nutritional aspect of it. We will have specific meals for these guys, whatever their diet is, and then really getting into the crevices of fixing their life. And uh, we've been able to do that, not only with myself, but a few other NFL players and then military guys, too. We want to be open arms. We're not trying to baby athletes and entertainers, but we do realize in military respected individuals and vets. But we do realize that, no, uh, that we have lived a different life. So we're not going to pamper you, but we understand our trauma and our shame being out there to the forefront of the rest of the world is just a little bit different from anybody else. But then we bring everybody together in a sober community because we're no different from anybody else, but we have the ability to address certain things that everybody else hadn't been able to deal with, that haven't had to deal with either. Yeah. So then are they, does everybody basically stay there on the premises or? Yes. Yes, we stay on the premises. Got you. What was that like for you? I had a lot of work to do. First, the first step of AA, I'm not sure if you're familiar with them, but the first step is admitting that you are powerless and your life has become unmanageable. That was easy for me because I could see the results of my life. Two, really believing that a God or higher power can bring you to can bring you to sanity. Three really looking at your life and, and knowing it's God's will and not your will and letting your will over to God or higher power. All right, don't get caught up on the, the God thing, but something outside of yourself, all right, you have to give your will to, whether it's the universe, whether it's God, whether it's the higher power. But the key step in all of these 12 steps is step four, and that's getting those resentments out getting that sex inventory out, getting those fears out, putting them on paper, all right, and really thoroughly 
getting your thoughts and things that has been bothering you and eating you up inside and taking you back to drugs or alcohol, all right, or taking you back, I'm getting over a cold, and taking you back, maybe taking you back to your anger or something that's really, really just eating you up inside. Get that out on paper, and then in step five, you're able to tell somebody, get it all out there, but it give you some feedback and let you understand where your problem has been lying at. And it's just the freedom of that too within your spirit, man, of getting that stuff out. So it's a beautiful thing, but you got to go through the hard work to really become free. You really do. So what do you find? What has been the most rewarding in your entire career path? Wow. I've said this on a couple of occasions and um, I know myself, I wouldn't keep saying if I didn't mean it. But I would say my freedom and sobriety, I would say knowing who I really am, understanding why I do some of the things I do, and just having this peace and serenity, I would take that right now over football. It's because when football was really happening, my world was just so crazy. Uh, A lot of times I wasn't able to bring it back down to even kill. But I have that in my life now. And it's such a beautiful thing. That's interesting because I guess you hype yourself up so much and it's hard to come down. And Yeah. Yeah. And then everything that's being thrown at you, too. And then when you start making poor decisions, everything just compiles on you. And then ultimately what really happens is you've been called to do something through God. And when you're not doing that and good and evil is fighting against each other, then heck, bad things going to happen. So that's just simply put like that. Yeah. I do have a question. So when listeners see you and they're like, hey, he played football for for Dallas. If you're here in Texas, it's going to be the Cowboys normally. What do people ask you? Is there a question that they ask you, like a popular question? Probably the most frequent question that's being asked to me is how did it feel to play for the Cowboys? Yeah. uh, Yeah, I think that's the one that's asked more than any question. How did it feel like on the day of a game? Like all the lights and the crowd noise, do you drown that out or? You try to drown it out as much as possible, but some of it was surreal. But what I've always tried to do is just stay in that moment, know the task at hand, know what I'm trying to accomplish on Sundays or Monday nights, which was beautiful, too, to play on a Monday night in front of the world like that. But you just try to keep it, try to keep it as normal as possible, which at times wasn't the easiest thing. But staying in the moment was always important to well, and you had a major role. You were the quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys. Heck yeah. So Heck yeah. there's a lot of pressure on you. How did you prepare? Did you do preparation several days before? Of course, how often did y'all train? Well, we were off on Mondays and Tuesdays normally, unless you played on Monday. And so during the season, it was really practice Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, a walkthrough on Saturday, and you play on Sunday. But during the offseason, four or five times a week, you're at it and uh, lifting weights, running, sprinting, throwing, getting that continuity. 
doing a lot of stretching, yoga, doing some fast twitch workouts, which was on Wednesday. So normally you work Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday. And then on Wednesday, it would be some fast twitch workouts and then also abs. So you got at it at least five days a week. And then during the season, really the working out kind of tapers off but it's about the maintenance and then it's about the mental aspect of the game and making sure you're prepared on Sundays. So then did you all train together or you all had like personal trainers? No, with the Cowboys, we trained together. A lot of teams don't do that. But with the Cowboys, we were on a strict schedule starting like the first week of March. So you'll get January and February off. And then March, that first week, we started getting at it. So is that basically, that's what you're living. That's all you're doing. Are you really in contact with others from the outside as you're um, the game? Yeah, I mean, you live a pretty normal life. I always jumped in that 7.30 or 10 o'clock group. My workouts were done about 1 o'clock. And then there's some things on all season you do in the community, golf tournaments and things like that with your charities or whatever. And going to other teammates' events, going back and forth home to visit family and things like that. But you live a normal life after about, what, one o'clock was when I was done with everything. Yeah. So what was the first thing that you bought whenever you, did you buy anything? Did you buy a new car when you first got signed on or a new house or? I, I did. I didn't buy a house in my second year. I wanted to stay around the complex my first year. So I stayed in an apartment right down the street from Valley Ranch because we weren't even in Frisco back then. We was in Valley Ranch. So I stayed around Valley Ranch in an apartment. But I bought myself, the first thing I bought myself was a 600 CL. Then I bought my mom some stuff and uh, making sure she was taken care of. What advice would you give to someone that hasn't started chasing their dreams or they're ready to give up on their dreams? The first thing comes out my mouth is hard work. You got to work for it. All right. Then you got to have the discipline to work and to go after your dreams. And then the third thing, you got to be consistent with your hard work and the discipline to get you towards any dream that you want in your life. Work your butt off, have the discipline to work your tail off, and be consistent in everything you do. I love it. You're incredible. So what do you want listeners to know most about you and your path? Hey, life ain't easy, but at the same time, don't make life more difficult than than it already is going to be. All right, life is going to have its ups and downs. Life is going to bring you some obstacles, but don't add other obstacles on top of that. And that's what I did with my addiction. Live your life. You only get one one shot at this. Don't regret anything. But if you don't go for it, whatever you want in life, you will regret it later. Oh, I, you give me goosebumps and. I thank you just for sharing your personal experience and getting really personal with us today. And you're absolutely amazing. Is there anything else that you would like to say that I didn't ask? If anybody wants some, want to get in touch with me, you can through QuincyCarter17.com. That's my website. I got all my social handles on that. If you want you know, me to come out and be a motivational speaker for whatever venue you may have or platform you may have, you can get in touch with me at quincycarter 
Seventeen.com. And I'll also put those in the show notes, your contact information. So Okay, cool. It has been so good seeing you again, and I hope to see you again soon. Oh, likewise, um, likewise. You take care, and it has been such a blessing, Quincy. Thank you so much. You're welcome, and thanks for having me. I really appreciate it, Bob. I love how Quincy is so passionate about helping others. It's interesting when something doesn't work out like you thought it would, but it leads you to something that becomes more fulfilling in your life. This was so incredible. Do you have a dream, a passion that you want to chase? You know I'd love to hear it. If you have any topics that you want to discuss, please email me, bonnie at bonnielang.com. If you're enjoying the episode, please feel free to share it with your friends. I'm sending you peace, love, happiness, and hugs. And don't forget to subscribe.